Welcome to the Root and Remedy podcast, where we discuss all things women's health, hormones, fertility, and body confidence. I'm your host, Vanessa, a women's health nutritionist and the co-founder of Root and Remedy Wellness. You can find our membership as well as all other resources at rootandremedywellness.com. Oh my goodness, do we have an episode for you today because we are interviewing one of my favorite people on the planet and one of the people I look up to the most in the women's health and wellness space and someone I'm very, very happy that I'm friends with and her name is Cortland. She is an incredible personal trainer, a very knowledgeable nutrition coach. She really knows her stuff and she gives you a no BS approach to exercise, to creating a healthy relationship with food, understanding body image and creating a healthy relationship with the process of changing your body because somehow it has become very against the grain and very quote unquote wrong to want to lose weight or to want to change your body. I totally understand it from a position of not wanting to starve yourself, not wanting to completely restrict yourself or to ruin your body in order to get skinny. That's not what we're talking about here. But some people are uncomfortable in their bodies and they want to get a little bit more fit. They want to change how they look for the better. They want to feel stronger and feel more comfortable in their bodies. And there's nothing wrong with that. The only time it becomes an issue is when you are beating your body up in order to look a certain way. That's when it's not sustainable. That's when it's literally torture for your body. And the reason why I wanted to sit down with Cortland and have her on the podcast so early was because she is a total mastermind when it comes to body composition, but getting there in a healthy way. So we talk a ton about creating a healthy relationship with exercise, the absolute essentials and principles of creating a healthy body, creating a body that you love to look at in the mirror, one that you create a really beautiful relationship with and what it actually takes. Because a lot of us are stuck on the treadmill. We are cardio queens and that's not what we need to be doing. We need to bring in things like resistance training, eating enough food, eating enough protein. And Cortland and I talk a lot about it being a flex, that you can eat a lot of food, that you can lift some heavy ass weight. Those are the kinds of women that we want in this community. This is the kind of education we need. So we are gonna dive into all of this together with Cortland. She is absolutely fabulous. If you do wanna get in contact with her in the show notes, we've listed her Instagram as well as ways to contact her because she is a fabulous, fabulous personal trainer and she works out of Halifax, Nova Scotia. So she takes online clients as well as in-person clients. And if you're wanting to get in touch with her, we've got that listed for you below. All right, let's get into the episode. So by now people know why I love you and why I trust you, especially when it comes to training, nutrition, understanding body composition. So can you tell us a little bit more about how you got into the career of personal training and nutrition, whether that's a personal story, professional journey, just kind of take us from the beginning and tell us how you got to where you are. It's a big story. Actually, it's not that big of a story, but I would say it started kind of back in like 2014. So that's when I first got my first gym membership. Back then I was about 16 years old. I didn't have much of like a sports or like physical activity background at all. I had like incredibly poor body image. um, And I just like needed an outlet, needed something to kind of get me moving. On top of that, I had extremely poor nutrition. Like I barely ate vegetables or anything like that. And I felt like kind of like, you know, at that age, like you feel the pressure to like look a certain way. All your friends are kind of like people like compare you and all that kind of thing. So that's kind of like what originally got me into the gym. And this kind of all ties into why I became a personal trainer. But like 
I did everything and anything wrong under the sun, like for a good, like two, three years. I had no idea what I was doing. I was that kind of person, like going on the treadmill until I burnt a thousand calories or like on the Stairmaster till I burnt a thousand calories. And oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then I was also the kind of person like trying to like make my meals very small throughout the day. So I would have like one egg and a banana for breakfast. And then I'd have like a granola bar and then I'd have like a salad for lunch with like no protein in it, just a, just vegetables. And then at night I would go home and I would literally eat a full box of cereal. I'm not joking. That was like my routine. And I had trouble losing weight. I had no idea what was going on. And it just like, it frustrated me to no end because I'm like comparing myself to my peers Everybody seemed to have an easier time getting fit than me. And it just never made sense to me. So then I hired a coach in 2016 and it was a horrible experience. So at this point I'm in university and I hire a coach to help me with my fitness and my training. And while this person helped me lose weight, it was not in a healthy way at all. And I ended up getting severely underweight from this and I, um, it just really impacted my relationship with food and exercise. And it actually made me feel a little bit worse about myself. And then from there, like my passion about fitness was born. So like, I was always just into fitness for myself. I wasn't anyone who was like, looking to coach anyone in any way. Um, But I was very passionate and very consistent about it. Like even back when I was doing everything wrong, I've always been consistent. But then at this point, I started like, there was like a fire lit in me. And I was like, I need to understand if there's like a more sustainable way to do this, like right away. I was like, there has to be a better way. There has to be another way that doesn't involve hours of cardio, seven days in the gym and just eating nothing next to nothing. So then I started doing like tons and tons of research on like fitness and nutrition. At this point, we're like 2017. And then my friends start noticing that like, I'm getting fit. And then people start asking me about fitness and like, what I did. And I just started like helping friends. It started there. And then as I started to learn more about nutrition and doing my research, I was like listening to podcasts, reading books. Like I was like literally immersing myself in it, like no tomorrow. Um, I started feeling like, I'm like, Hey, I can do this. And I was actually in a, I was taking my education degree, um, at the time. So I was in my second year of my education degree and I hated it. And I'm doing coaching on the side. And obviously, like, I still at this point, I don't really know much, but I know a little bit more than what my coach did, I guess, because I was, I felt like I was making a positive impact on the women that I was working with. And it just started like small, kind of small scale with friends. And then from there, I realized that I needed more education if I was really going to help people. So I decided to stop my degree in education and then go and uh, pursue a like a career in nutrition. So I went um, and started at a new university at the Mount in nutrition, completed my degree there. All the while I'm doing my PT certification um, online, and then I'm starting to train clients here and there part-time. I kind of started that way, and then it just very much compounded from there, essentially. So I feel like my own personal experience with like doing everything wrong with my diet and my training in the beginning, like just lit a fire under me for some reason. Like I love people and I love to teach and I love to coach. Um, So that's kind of where I thought that I would be like a school teacher, but then that kind of transitioned me into being um, a teacher in a different way, I guess. 
So yeah, that's pretty much how I started to where I am today. And then I just, I started full, um, training full-time at Good Life. I did that for two years. And then now I've been out of that for about eight, nine months now. And I'm working at a private gym now. So so I feel like a lot of people can relate to the feeling of, and I know you get this a lot too, of I feel like I'm doing everything. Why am I not seeing results? And the unfortunate truth is sometimes you are doing a lot of things and they are not the right things, but they're what you saw on TikTok. They're what you saw on Instagram. They're what a qualified in quotations, trainer has told you to do. So I think a lot of people get that frustration of, okay, I'm not even going to try anymore because me putting all of my effort into this clearly isn't even working. Like either I'm starting to look the opposite way I want to, or I'm feeling obsessed about food, or I'm in the gym way too long. So can you talk through some specifics of the things that you changed when you say I was doing things wrong to go into doing things right? Can you take us through that of what you were doing wrong and then what you changed so to make sure you were doing it properly and how that actually got you results? Totally. Two simple things. One, train less, eat more right? So like more is not always better. And that's something that a lot of people need to realize. Like my clients, for example, are like, am I missing something? Like, do I need to buy this green juice? Or like, do I need to like do this workout? Like there's literally nothing missing besides taking it down a notch and just continuing on with your consistency. So like main thing I changed, number one, was that I started investing into like coaching and proper programming applying progressive overload, working on strength. Before I'm doing like all kinds of cardio and there's kind of no rhyme or reason to my training. It's all very circuit-based. And then I needed to follow like a sound training program. So I invested in some mind pump programs. We all love mind pump podcasts. And like back then they were not a big, like they were not a big podcast at all. But I found them through just searching up like, personal trainers and programs and like they popped up and then I started investing in their programs. And then the second thing is that I just started learning about nutrition and like what a healthy diet looks like, what a balanced diet looks like, how to ensure that you're getting enough nutrients throughout the day. And like, that's the kind of thing that I learned in my first year um, in my nutrition degree. So it kind of compounded from there, I guess. So those were the two main things that I really changed for myself and like also stuff that I apply today to uh, my clientele. Perfect. And we're going to get into all of this for those of you listening who are like, okay, but I want to know what this actually looks like. Like what can I do and where should I be putting my effort? But what you did was eating more protein, eating more quality carbohydrates, eating more fat, eating enough food. So we'll talk about what that looks like. And that's a huge theme on the podcast, right? Is, is we're not eat less, exercise more. We are actually the opposite. We're saying nurse your body, work out appropriately, move your body. Like that, that's totally fine. And then the exercise piece, instead of doing tons of cardio, so think spin class, circuit training, things that just get your heart rate up, make you sweat a ton, make you feel exhausted by the end of it or running for minutes or hours on end and then not refueling properly. I just want someone listening to put up a hand or kind of raise a red flag if they see themselves doing that. If you feel like you're doing everything, but when we actually look at what you're eating and how much you're moving throughout the day and those are not appropriate, then you're not going to be seeing the results. So let's get a little bit more into that when we talk about misunderstandings and myths in the women's health and fitness industry. Talk to us a little bit, especially, especially about the women's health journey and the myths that you see there. First thing is strength training makes you bulky. So Typically, if somebody comes and sits down with me 
for a consult, they already know that that this is not true. But like, if I'm like talking and passing with someone with like a woman that I feel like would be my ideal clientele, and I'm trying to talk to them about the benefits of strength training, typically that's their concern. Like, I don't want to get larger or I don't want to get bulky. I just want to tone, right? I feel like those are the word tone is kind of like a buzzword as well. And when a lot of women are saying, I want to lose weight, a lot of them, what they're actually trying to say is that I want to improve my body composition. So it's not just like lose weight. You're looking to redistribute your weight and kind of change the way you look to sculpt the body per se, right? So if you're really looking to make changes to your body composition, weight training is where you absolutely need to start. And some people kind of forget that. They think that they can just shed the fat um, easier by doing like spin classes, for example, or tons of cardio, for example. And then they kind of discount the weight training piece because they think that's going to make them bulky. But that's actually the opposite. If you're going to be overusing the cardio, you're actually likely to look a little bit softer and lose shape. Whereas if you're really prioritizing your strength training and your weight training, and you're making sure that your program's sound and that it's balanced, um, you're more likely to achieve that body composition and that physique that you're actually, that you actually desire. I think it's just kind of like, we're not properly educated on the benefits of weight training kind of just in childhood and like throughout life. And I think, a an important piece too, is anybody who's thinking, I want to get toned. Like I want to look like the girls on Instagram or the classic like fit person. What you're saying, what you're actually saying when you say you want to look toned, it means you want to put on some muscle and gain strength and lose body fat. Those are two things that you want to do. That's what will make you toned. You're lean and you're strong. You can't just lose a ton of weight and expect to look sculpted and toned, so to speak. So that's an important piece because people will say, I want to look toned. I want to look toned. I want to tone up. But what, what they're actually saying is I do want to put on muscle and, and put on strength and I want to lose body fat at the same time. And we'll talk about how to do both those things, but take us to myth number two. Second one is you have to eat less to look better. And that kind of ties into um, the weight training piece as well. So Again, if you want to sculpt the body, if you want to tone, like we said, which actually just means building muscle, you can't eat like a bird. Um, I think especially for women, we are, and you know, a little bit unrelated, but like we're not taught about proper nutrition for women, just again, in childhood and like throughout life at all. So we're always taught to like eat less. And a lot of times when I sit down with someone, it's like their, their mom or their dad or somebody in their family telling them like, don't eat a lot. That's not good, right? You have to eat less. And there's this idea that in order to um, kind of like lose the body fat that you want, you have to eat less. And while yes, like a calorie deficit is essential to um, lose mass, right? Um, that's not where you should be starting out for the most part. You want to be working on eating more and adding like quality to your diet. So adding nutrients to the diet overall, getting in enough protein, getting in enough healthy fats, getting in, even in enough carbohydrates to support like your weight training sessions, things like that. Um, things that people discount and they just think if I don't eat, if I skip my meal, that means that overall I'm eating less and that'll help me get to my goal quicker. But what that can do, it has a whole other array of of issues as well. I'm sure um, you deal with that a lot, Vanessa, with your clients as well. Absolutely. And and that sounds so counterintuitive, especially for the person who already is eating like a bird and they're saying, I'm either gaining weight or I'm overweight or I'm not happy. And I, I either can't eat less because I, I don't eat anything or I eat very, very 
little, but especially when they come to someone like you who is specializing in helping them reach their goals of body recomposition nutrition, they probably don't want to hear from you, hey, you're actually not in in the proper place for me to even put you in a deficit. We really need to build you out of the hole that you're in, having you eat more, put on strength, and I promise you that the body fat loss will come. That's a really, really, really hard thing for someone to hear when they are coming to you because they want to lose weight yesterday. Like they're over it. So how do you walk someone through that journey? Say a client is coming to you. They're saying, I want to lose body fat. I'm either the heaviest I've ever been or maybe the past couple of years has been really hard for me. I feel like I'm doing all the right things. What do I do? How do you take that client uh, client through that process? I absolutely love that question because I literally deal with this every single day. And I wish like more people um, were aware of this because nine times out of 10, I sit down with someone, they want to lose weight. And I'm like, okay, kind of talk to me about what your diet looks like. And usually it involves like skipping breakfast or skipping lunch or skipping a meal, or like, it's like skipping food all day. And then all at night, it's all snacks, right? Because they're absolutely starving by that time, right? And their nutrition is not balanced at all in terms of macronutrients or micronutrients even. So um, they'll come to me and they'll tell me like, okay, I want to lose weight. So the first thing that I do with them is I sit down with someone and I ask them a little bit about their nutrition. If I'm getting the sense that this person is not needing enough, which literally 10 out of 10 times it is, I get them to do a food log for me and I say, change nothing about your nutrition for a week. I just want to see what it is that you're eating. And because usually this person is a little bit hesitant to add to their diet, I get them to do that food log and then they come back to me with the food log and we actually go through it together and we discuss. And again, my process is pretty much the same every single time. It's usually due to low protein. Um, Usually women are are not eating enough protein, right? So that's typically the first place I start when I like look at someone's food log. I already kind of know that that's what's going to be the issue. Sometimes it's something else like not enough vegetables or just inconsistent meals. But nine times out of 10, it is like the protein issue. So I get them to bring me their food log and we discuss. I tread very carefully with these people because again, if you're looking to lose fat and you're not eating enough to begin with, like you can't cut from nothing. If you're just, if you're not even eating three meals a day, you can't cut from that. You can't go to like, okay, let's eat one meal a day. You have to add to the diet first and make it balanced and make sure that you're eating enough calories just to like support function, right? And that is likely to have the person feel way better than they did before. So again, I tread very carefully with adding to the diet and we usually do one thing at a time. So whether it starts with like more protein, more water, more calories, whatever it has to be, whatever that person is comfortable with as well. So mainly I would start with protein and calories first. So ensuring that they're getting a source of protein in in their three meals a day, um, I send them kind of like a little bit of a guide as to how to gauge how much protein per meal. And then again, making sure that they're getting those three meals in a day. And then we kind of take it from there and like pick at, pick at it piece by piece. And it all has to do with like how consistent the client is as well and how much work and time that they can put into it. Can you tell us what enough protein looks like. Typically, I know this is of course going to change person to person, but when you say you focus on adding more protein, can you tell us at least the goals that you kind of get them to shoot for or what that looks like on a plate so that someone can walk away from this and say, okay, I'm going to focus on getting enough protein at my next meal. I know exactly what that's going to look like to start. I love that. Yeah, totally. 
if I'm just, if I'm telling them to eyeball it, I say, take your hand and make sure that your protein is the size of your hand on your plate. Um, that's number one, or I'm getting them to weigh and measure their protein. And I'm giving them a little bit of a guide of what to go off of from there. Um, if they're coming from a place where there's a lot of insecurity or, um, they have either like disordered eating behaviors, I'm most likely not going to get them to weigh and measure their food. I'll more likely get them to eyeball it again with like the, with their hand. And this means animal protein or fish, or do you do plant-based as well? Can you tell tell us a bit more about sourcing? I would always say go for an animal-based source of protein in terms of like absorption, for sure. You want to make sure that you're getting in also all the nutrients that come from um, meat, like B12, right? Things that you might not be getting in your vegan sources of protein. If somebody's telling me that they're hesitant about eating meat for some reason, I usually ask why. Um, Because sometimes people have heard like, oh, meat is bad. Like you shouldn't eat meat. It doesn't come from like, if it's, it's for ethical reasons, that's a little bit different. But if they're like discounting meat because they heard that like, oh, red meat is bad. Or like I heard too much meat is bad. Then I'll kind of try to educate them on on that and why they might want to try adding a little bit more meat to their diet. But for sure, I kind of separate like um, primary sources of protein and secondary sources of protein. So like primary sources of protein would be like your meats, your fish, um, even like your dairy and your whey proteins. Like that's where you're going to get like your max absorption of protein. And then if you're going more of like the vegan vegetarian route, you want to make sure that one, you're paying extra attention to how much protein you're getting in a day because you're not able to absorb the protein in the same, at the same amount, you want to make sure that you're like combining your sources. For example, if you want to do beans, you probably want to um, combine that with something like rice to make sure that you're getting your full amino acid profile within there. Um, If you're going to do things like, uh, I'm trying to think, what are other vegan sources of protein? Like tofu or tempeh, would you do anything with soy? I would, but that again, like if the person is vegan and or vegetarian, and that is the only way that they're going to get that protein in, then I would be like, yeah, for sure. Right. Whatever that they get in. Again, I am all about working like with the client and what they are comfortable with because my model is very sustainable based. So like if they're not going to eat meat and the only way that I can get them to get some protein in is by, you know, doing beans, rice, tofu, tempeh, and they, it agrees with them in terms of like digestion then I'm all for it. Like, who am I to say that they shouldn't eat that way, right? I'll give them my educated opinion because obviously in my opinion, I think that animal sources of protein are better in terms of like body recomposition, muscle building, satiety, all of that kind of thing. But if the client's very hesitant, I try to tread carefully with nutrition because I am aware that nutrition is very personal to a lot of people. Um, and you don't want to push your judgment on someone because that, te- that that usually makes somebody less willing to like trust you and they feel like a little bit judged if that makes sense. So I try to like tread carefully with the recommendations that I um, that I give just because of the population that I work with, right? Because it's coming from a lot of the women are like low confidence. They don't have a lot of education on nutrition. They're probably using TikTok and Instagram and getting all kinds of floods of information, right? So Again, we take it very, very slow, one thing at a time. It's all about sustainability. So choose your protein sources wisely. That's definitely the first place that that you're saying you're starting, talking about increasing protein, increasing calories. Sometimes if you are plant-based, you might need to supplement with 
protein powder more than once per day. And it might be unfortunate and annoying, but that's okay. It's possible. Uh, so take us through what happens next. So you said, okay, you do the food log with them. You, you hear about their background, what they've tried, what their current lifestyle and nutrition is like. Usually, or 10 times out of 10, same with me. I've never worked with someone who's eating enough protein or eating enough food, which is hilarious, but it's just the way it is. I know I wasn't either. So it's okay. We're just really, really, really underserved. It's so unfortunate that that's not like common knowledge. And although like I'm sure you see on your social media, it seems like everybody's talking about that. But we live in this bubble of like um, nutrition and fitness space. Like we're in this space. So it's what we see all the time. But then when you sit down with someone new, you realize like, oh, this is not as common as I thought. Like people are not taught about this. Absolutely. So what do you do next after looking at the nutrition, adding in more protein, taking the nutrition step by step? What happens next? Totally. So that all depends on the client. So for example, if you have a body recomposition goal, likely you're going to need to learn how to track macros at some point. I typically don't start there with anyone. Again, we focus on adding quality to the diet first. So once I can see that the client can consistently track their food, um, I use food tracking as a mindfulness practice as well. But also if they're looking to make body composition changes, they need to be quite vigilant about what they're, um, what they're eating. Right. So if that, that's kind of like the, the direction we're going in, I'm continuing to get them to track their foods. I'm ensuring that they're getting in three meals a day, usually with like a pre-workout, post-workout snack as well, or like snacks throughout the day in between their meals. Um, I'm looking at overall quality of the diet and just making sure that they're getting enough. I ask them about their energy, their sleep, their digestion. We kind of check in every so often to make sure all is good there. It's all about how the client is feeling and how they're progressing when it comes to nutrition. Then after, if everything is good, I, I kind of like leave them be. I let them keep going because again, consistency is key. It doesn't always need to keep changing. Like don't fix it if it's not broken. So if they're doing well with like getting their three meals in a day, um, eating enough protein, eating enough vegetables, getting in healthy fats, kind of all of the above water, um, I'm happy. If they're happy, I'm happy. Then it comes to making sure that the training piece is going well and that they're consistent with that as well. So making sure that they're training anywhere from two to three times a week um, and that they're progressing accordingly. Um, I usually take care of that side of things because a lot of my clients come in to see me in the gym. So I make sure that they're progressing the way that I think they should be. And then we just take it from there. So it's very based on where the client wants to go. Some clients are literally just looking to um, improve their diet and like have a little bit of a lifestyle modification. And that's as far as we take it. And then they, we check in every single like every so often. Right. So I help clients a lot. And look, we sit down and we go through, like, they come to me with questions and then we kind of like talk about their diet. We check in every so often and make sure that they're staying consistent essentially. Um, and then if they want to go with like the fat loss body recomposition, um, route, I usually put them on something like fitness pal to use. And then I kind of help them with their macros, set their macros, um, up for them. And then I check in on them every single week to make sure that they're kind of on track and things like that. Um, but again, that's all dependent on if the client wants to do that, if they're comfortable to do that. And if they feel like they can be accurate enough to really, really track. Um, I don't think tracking is the end all be all either. Like I'm not, um, I know that there's, especially like where I did a nutrition degree, um, not that it's frowned upon using things like that, but it's not really like the most encouraged practice to for nutrition. 
Um, which I can understand, right? Like you don't want to be tied to fitness pal for your entire life. But what I tell my clients is to use it as an educational tool. You don't want to rely on it for your whole life. That's not the point. If you have very specific body composition goals, it helps, but it's all in the pursuit of like not having to do it forever. Right. And eventually achieving balance. Like after you've tracked for so often, you start to get kind of like, um, you start to be able to visualize like what a plate should look like or what like some portion sizes should look like, right? Because I'm all about balance. So when I'm doing macronutrient distributions for my clients, it's a very balanced plate that I'm looking at, right? So it's kind of like, that's how we use it. If that, I hope I didn't go off on too much of a tangent. No, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And with the training piece, you said they're usually training two to three times per week. Knowing you, I know that strength-based training. So can you walk us through, we've got a clear depiction of the nutrition piece that you take them through, but can you tell us a bit more about the training? Obviously, they're not seeing you every single day. You're not with them 24-7. You're handling their training one to a few times per week, if that. And then what do you have them do on their own time? Are they walking? Are they hiking? Are they doing spin classes? Are they doing boot camps? Are they just doing resistance training? What do you find you really need to put in place or help them put in place in order for them to have success with their body recomposition, losing body fat, increasing muscle, becoming toned? Totally. I love it. Again, it depends a little bit of who we're talking about. If we're talking about like my average client who's like detrained, hasn't really done anything in the gym ever in their life. um, And this is kind of their only method of fitness. Typically I'm trying to get them to work out about three times a week, two to three times, depending on kind of where they're at. Um, I've noticed through my experience that going to the gym three times a week is probably your best bet. If you're involved in like other kind of like sports or like other activities, I might reduce that to once or twice a week. But if you're just like, if that's kind of like your only method of fitness, I'm going to say about three times a week. But I'm also a big advocate for a little bit of movement every day. So I don't think that you should just work out like balls to the walls three times a week and then just sit on your couch for the other four days of the week. I think you should try to do like low level activity, whether that's a walk outside, a walk on a treadmill, Um, a yoga class, um, a mobility session. Sometimes I give my clients like mobility and stretching work to do at home, anything like that, that just gets the body moving throughout the day. Um, And then I always kind of recommend um, moving as much as possible. So getting your knee up. So your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, long word, essentially anytime you can get up from your work desk and walk around, um, just make movement more part of your day. That is a huge one. And then, yeah, on the training side of things, when my, tra- when my clients come into the gym to train with me, obviously it's very strength training based. Um, and then my whole thing with training as well is that a lot of the women who are coming to me are not confident in the gym at all and don't really have any idea of what to do or where to start. And my whole thing is making sure that when they're done with me, they know exactly what to do and they know exactly where to go in the gym and they feel comfortable just being in the gym environment and with the workout that they're doing. So a big part of like how I coach is to that as well. So three times a week of strength training is what I typically recommend. Very foundations based. We train movements and not necessarily muscles for the first part. So squatting, hinging, pushing, pulling, rotation, all that kind of thing, getting them really comfortable in all of that. And then as their fitness goals evolve and as they evolve with me, then we can kind of get more specific with what they want to do from there. But for the most part, that's kind of how it's laid out for me. 
And there is a caveat with that because I know a lot of people will say, I am doing strength training. Like I do it at a boot camp or I am doing it. And we're talking about what we call straight sets. So you, for most, mostly, obviously that will, that will change, but someone, I often will talk to someone and say, do you do any strength training? And they go, yes, I go to boot camps three times a week, but it's, we do jump squats. And then we we're doing these thrusters and we're putting weights overhead. And then we run to the next exercise and the next exercise. Ah. And then we rest two minutes <laughs> and then we do it all again. And I'm like, well, that's not really the strength training we're talking about. So can you talk about the strength training that you are saying, especially when you use that word progressive overload, can you tell people what that is and how can they spot when they think they're doing strength training, but it might not actually be serving them as well as they think it is? That literally comes back to like education, right? Like you and I know like energy systems, right? We know that there's like anaerobic and then aerobic energy systems that you work, right? So if you're going from like, if you're going from like squat to push up to like jumping and all over the place, that's cardio, whether you're holding a weight or not, right? It gets the heart rate up. It does work the muscles to a certain degree. Like for example, if you're incredibly detrained and then you go and you do like boot camp classes with weights involved where you're stressing the muscle, you might actually put on a little bit of muscle, but that's likely to kind of taper off quite quickly, right? Um, because when you're working out in like a cardio or like a boot camp kind of setting, your ability to really like stress the muscle and adapt is kind of compromised. You would be looking at straight sets, probably not overdoing with the supersets. And you're looking at taking enough rest in between your sets, right? So for my clients, the way that I tell them to gauge it is by let your heart rate come down and don't rush into the next set. Wait until you're ready, right? It's all about kind of, um, it's not about like rushing through. It's really about like focusing on the movement that you're performing, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And when you when you say straight sets, you mean squat for 12 reps, then rest, then squat. Exactly. Squat for, for 10 reps, rest for one to two minutes, squat for 10 reps, uh, rest for one to two minutes, take your time, really focus on your set, really focus on the movement that you're performing, and then move on to your next exercise. That's what we kind of mean by like, strength training, right? And then if you really want to build your muscle and you want to stress the muscle, you do need that rest in between sets because you need your muscles to take a second before you go into your next set. Um, especially if you're looking to add weight to the bar, for example, right? You want to be able to have your heart rate come down and have your muscles rest before you go on to the next, right? Whereas in a boot camp you, you're probably not going to be going up in weight every time. You might get faster with what you're doing and more efficient, but you're not necessarily stressing the muscle more. So if, if anybody listening, if you are doing a boot camp class, try to switch it up and maybe try once per week, you try these straight sets, you will be surprised at how incredible you feel, but also the way your body responds. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the woman or, or person who is just starting out and feeling intimidated by the gym. So if they, if they don't have a trainer, so to speak, maybe they don't have the resources to hire a trainer or they're having trouble finding a good trainer in their area, where can they start to increase their confidence in exercise? Because a lot of people are a little freaked out by the free weight section, the dumbbells, the barbells. They don't know what they're doing. They feel like everybody's looking at them. So how do they start to get into the gym or at least get into strength training without feeling so intimidated so that they never even go to the gym? Totally. First of all, I hate that gym culture. I wish it was not, that was not the case, but unfortunately it is. So there's so many different things that you can do. First thing I would say is find yourself a plan. 
Because if you go in with a plan, you're not going to feel like you're aimless, aimlessly looking around and you're like, what do I do next? And a lot of girls who I talk to say that they're like, I just go to the gym and I like go on the stairs and then I don't know what to do after. So if you go in with a plan and you kind of know where you're going, you're probably more likely to feel like confident and comfortable with what you're doing. Second thing would be to, if you can, avoid like the busiest times of the gym to go to the gym. Try to find like a quiet corner or go at a quiet time and familiarize yourself with the weights, using a barbell, using dumbbells, things like that. Take your time. And then as you get more comfortable, then you might not be too worried about kind of what time of day it is. Third thing I would recommend would be to try it with a friend, if possible, if you have a friend that you can go with, um, that kind of makes it a little bit more comfortable. And a lot of girls say that going with friends helps them kind of like, you know, feel more comfortable in the gym. You can also try doing things from home as well, like trying to work on your squats or like your single leg movements from home. And then like nobody's watching you there. You can just kind of focus on your movements. And once you start to feel better about them, practice is key, right? Once you start to feel better about them, then you might feel like better taking it into the gym. If you keep repeating the same thing over and over again, you know exactly what you're doing. You just like walk into the gym and you do your own thing, right? And a lot of it has to come from like positive self-talk as well. Like you cannot control what other people in the gym are doing. Um, You cannot control who's there or what's going on there. You just have to really work on feeling comfortable in yourself And realizing that everybody is at the gym for themselves. Like even like the douchey gym guys, like they're in there looking at themselves. They're Mm -hmm. not looking at you. If they look at you, they're checking you out. They're not looking at you thinking you're an idiot. (laughs) Yeah, literally. Exactly, exactly. Something I also find is – because I do sometimes have clients where they know the importance of strength training. Maybe they even have a strength training past, but for whatever reason, more recently, they're just – they are not going and they have every intention every single week for going and going. But at the beginning, they actually really enjoy classes or they really enjoy spinning. So if you do find yourself every week saying, I'm going to get to the gym this week, I'm going to get to the gym this week, and you're you're genuinely not going, any exercise is going to be better than not going at all and not moving your body at all. So this is when I do say, okay, join your favorite class, go spin. And if you love it, great. At the very least, you're staying consistent with an exercise you enjoy, but then we can't be Heart, like butt hurt if we're not seeing the results we're looking for. We have to kind of marry the two of consistency, what you know you're going to follow through with, what you do enjoy, and the way you want your body composition to be, the way the more aesthetic and physical goals you have. They don't always marry each other, but we usually need to find some kind of common ground between the two. So I just don't want someone to think, okay, no more boot camps, no more spin class, definitely not doing that ever again. Do it if you enjoy it, but also know where where they max out and where strength training has its benefits. I'm also a firm believer that like those behaviors, right? Like for example, if you're detrained and you start and you're like too scared to go to the gym because that's an intimidating environment for you, but you're like I could handle a boot camp right now. I could handle a class. Then who are we to discourage that? You know what I mean? Like you said, movement is like it's all about movement at the end of the day. Um but If you have a person that's like, I am not happy with the way things are going and I would like to make a change, then that's where we would recommend like strength training and where that would kind of come in, right? But we don't want to be discouraging people from exercise altogether just because that's not the optimal way to achieve your body composition. And I believe that like the more you get comfortable with yourself with movement, 
the more likely you are to feel more comfortable in the gym environment as you go along. Like if you can stay consistent with what you're doing right now, then you're going to start to feel more confident to kind of go a little bit out of your comfort zone, for example. That's what that's what I've seen in my experience, at least. Absolutely. It's all about finding what works for you and being consistent, but also knowing the things to do. If you are going to put in the effort, you do want to know where should I actually be putting my eggs in what basket. So can we talk a little bit about, say, a client you have or someone who is continuous more or less with exercise. They're, they're qu- quite consistent whether they're doing their walks or they are doing some strength training. They're pretty consistent and they are starting to eat better. So maybe they were someone who went from skipping breakfast and only eating or drinking coffee in the morning to actually having a breakfast, a lunch, and a dinner. How do you coach someone if they are still having really strong cravings for processed food, fast food, so-called junk food, like a lot of sweets, a lot of chips, In-N-Out or McDonald's, and even though they are starting to work out and, and feel better, they know that these cravings are getting in the way of them seeing the results they want to see, but they are really intensely still having these cravings. What do you do with someone in that position? How do you help them navigate that? I mean, that's such a that's a really good question. I feel like nine times out of 10, if somebody's like kind of balancing out their meals and they're like exercising more, um, we have to look at like, is there still an idea of like restriction in their brain? That would be number one. Because when we talk about cravings and like, like yearning for foods, like, are you still restricting your portion sizes? Are you eating enough calories? That's like literally number one for me when it comes to cravings, there's always a psychological piece that comes with that, right, which is a little bit out of my scope. But um, when it comes to like calories and overall nutrition, like, first of all, are you getting enough still, you might be eating three meals a day, you might be having some protein, but like, are you getting in enough calories to just like support your daily function, especially if you're like increasing your activity level from before, it's likely that you're hungrier, right? And if your meals are actually smaller, Um, and you're not increasing your calories to support that extra muscle mass, right? You're likely to feel really hungry if you're going a long time in between meals. And if you go a long time in between meals and you're hungry, the first thing you're going to reach for is something that's hyper palatable or something that's going to give you energy quick, right? Those are number one. Then when we're talking about like, if this person is still doing all that, and then they're still having those issues, then we kind of talk about like, the psychological piece of it, right? So like, I'm very lifestyle oriented with my clients. So I will ask some questions about like, okay, like what makes you want to reach for that food? Like we talk about like the mindfulness of it. First practice that I would recommend is keeping junk food out of the house as much as possible. Um, Try to make your, I guess, I hate the word junk food, but like your treats, I guess, try to make that as something that you have to leave the house to get. Because if you're like comfy at home and you are craving and you've got nothing in the house to overeat, you're likely to not overeat it, right? You're not going to, you're likely not to go, you're likely not going to go to the grocery store and drive 10 minutes there to and from just to go get it. And if you are, maybe, maybe that's okay for that day, right? That would be number one. Just a note about keeping out of the house. We don't want to confuse that with, you cannot have this anymore. It's, it's more so that they, people are paid thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars to make these foods things that you cannot resist. So even us, like when I've got my salt and vinegar, Miss Ch- Miss Vicky's chips downstairs, and I am like wanting a little pre-dinner snack, I'm like, oh, right, I have salt and vinegar, Miss Ch- Vicky's. Like I, 
I don't usually think about that if it's not there, but as soon as it's there, my brain knows that it's there and it starts to crave it just because it's close to me and just because I know it's there. So it's just not to be confused with you're not allowed to eat this anymore. It's just saying if you are someone who you know that when chips or chocolate or muffins, cookies, whatever are in the house all the time, you gravitate to eat them. Of course you do. We are wired to do that and people are paid very, very handsomely to make you do that. So it's important to set yourself up for success in the way that if you want it badly enough or maybe you're at a party and it, it it's something that does fill up your soul and it's something that you do want to actually do in that moment, but it's not saying you can't have it. It's just saying set yourself up for success. Don't put it in your immediate environment because that's when you know you're going to have it, even when you don't actually want it just because it's there. So it's important to decipher between not having it in the house versus not eating it at all and, and setting that restriction. That's not what what you mean. Totally. And it like hyper-processed foods like are going to hijack your satiety right? That's the point. It's high sugar, high fat, and makes you want to eat more. It's literally engineered to make you want to eat more, right? So if it's, if it's near you, it's likely to make you kind of want to eat it all the time. And you mentioned the psychological piece as well. And, and that's something I, I hear a lot as well. Even though we're balancing blood sugar, we're working on hormone function, we're eating enough throughout the day. If you are someone who is had cravings for this type of food for years, if not decades, it probably won't take a couple months of cleaning up your nutrition and your lifestyle to remove that dependence or that coping mechanism or that comfort you get from that food. So can we talk a little bit about, do you notice people have just habits of eating this food and that's really hard to break? Or what else do you notice um, when it comes to craving these types of foods? Yeah, like it's definitely a habit that's hard to break for most people, right? Because something that I do kind of hear a lot is that food is used as a coping mechanism. So like, again, out of my scope and on the psychological piece, but what I try to like, I'm all about encouragement in that regard. So if you are, have a week where that that's kind of off per se, and you're kind of like struggling with um, staying, getting in your three meals and you're replacing a meal with like a takeout meal or you went and bought a bunch of groceries and you're like overeating the snacky foods, things like that. Again, I try to focus on like the consistency piece and like what you're doing most of the time and not to dwell on those like kind of times where you go off, like where you go off and you had a stressful week and like that happened, right? If those are behaviors that are like happening all the time, that would be something that I would like refer out to someone like, why is that happening? Like, let's talk about it. Where does that come from? And like, I'll, I'll likely get the person to talk me through it. And sometimes talking through it can be great. Sometimes talking through it is something that I can't help with. Right. Because again, I'm, I'm focusing on getting people to like balance their diet and achieve a sustainable lifestyle. And to me, sustainable doesn't look like completely avoiding foods that you like and completely avoiding foods that you crave all the time. Right. If it's a coping mechanism, maybe that's a negative thing, but we also need to look at like food for its hedonistic value as well, right? Because there there is a part to that. It's not all about like eating clean all the time and things like that. So like we have to educate our clients as well on making sure that if you have a craving or if you want that food, sometimes it's okay to go get it. And sometimes we don't have to view that as a coping mechanism either. Sometimes you just want to go out or like have your friends over and eat chips and have a charcuterie board and like go nuts and like while I, I don't think that that's a negative thing either, I think that that's okay. And that's a part of balance. And that's part of 
um, living a healthy lifestyle, right? Is like not seeing it as like so black and white. And sometimes you might crave these foods and we don't always have to view that as a negative thing either, right? It's okay. It's about what are you doing most of the time? What does 80 to 85% of your month look like? Does it look like balanced meals and then some snacky foods here and there? And maybe sometimes we overeat when we're eating the snacky foods. And maybe that's something that we want to educate our clients on. Like, okay, why are you overeating the snacky foods? It's not really your fault. Like we said, like it hijacks your satiety. Like the, the foods are made to make you want to eat more. So if you have trouble kind of stopping yourself from overeating, maybe again, like we said, it's, it's good to get out of the house and go get that food and not have it right in your house where it's so close and so easily accessible to you kind of thing. Absolutely. And such a strong piece of that is you don't want to shame yourself for having the cravings. It's no big deal. And that's something that I hear a lot is like, I'm disappointed in myself for having a craving. Whereas it's okay. It's part of life. And maybe you're craving chips because you didn't have enough salt that day. Or maybe you're craving chocolate because you're close to your period. And like, that's cool. But I wanted to touch more so on the, and I think you did that beautifully, just walking them through, okay, where are some places we want to start to look as opposed to us saying, okay, let's just pretend we don't have these and shut them down and just never eat any type of sweet or salty foods again. It's how can we bring this into our life in a balanced way so we enjoy them and we don't overconsume them when it's not necessary or all the time? And how do we create that healthy relationship with food? And I think that's something that we both really stand firmly on is it's not healthy if there's no balance and it's not healthy if you don't have a good relationship with the food. You can eat clean as much as you want, but if you're constantly thinking about chips or constantly thinking about McDonald's and you are white knuckling through your day, that's not healthy. I don't care how well you eat. That's not healthy either. Exactly. No, I completely agree. And like what I would probably recommend a client too would be like, okay, if you've eaten all three of your meals per day and like, say it's like it's nighttime and you're like hungry, maybe go serve yourself more of your dinner before you go get the snack. Like if you're not hungry for protein or vegetables or whatever, like whole foods, you're probably just craving. Give it some time and see if that goes away. Right. Cause it takes about, I know we all know this takes about 20 minutes after a meal to kind of like feel the satiety. So like take some time and really think about it first before you make that action. Because when we're looking at hyper-processed foods or ultra-processed foods, again, like they just make you want to eat more and it's really easy to mindlessly eat. So before you go reach for it, maybe you want to reach for more of your dinner first. Um, and then like, again, the main thing that I would look at with those people is making sure like, are, there, are they getting in enough calories throughout the day? Like where could we add calories within their meals throughout the day to maybe decrease that hunger, if that makes sense. Can we add whole foods to their diet first? And then again, there's, there's that side of things. But then again, we want to talk about like, why do these people reach for these foods? Let's talk it through. Let's kind of remove some of the shame there as well um, for kind of choosing those foods and desiring those foods. Cause there's actually nothing wrong with that. It's when it comes to the point where it's like, it's over the top, right? And it's kind of taking over your life where that becomes more of an issue. But it's not always an issue either. And the, and we we seem to like have this very black and white thinking where it's like, okay, like I'm working with a coach or I'm like working on my fitness. That means like no pizza and no ice cream and no this and no that. But that's not necessarily the case. It doesn't have to be so black and white. And there doesn't not need to be so much shame tied to choosing um choosing to have the ice cream after dinner because that's just what you desire, right? 
Absolutely. So earlier we talked about a few myths that you want to debunk. One was that lifting weights makes you bulky. We know that's not true. Now, thanks to you. Second one um, was that you need to eat less in order to improve your body composition. Do you have one or two more for us? Just as we're kind of rounding out the conversation, what else would you say if someone is leaving, they want to remember this, like this is not true. Debunk a couple more myths for us. Okay. One that I have is like, I heard that like blank food is bad for you. Like, should I stop eating it? That's something that I hear all the time. Like, oh, I heard red meat is bad for you. I heard gluten is bad for you. I heard dairy is bad for you. Like there is no bad or good foods. Like I don't separate them in those camps at all. We just have to view it as food. Some foods are more nutritious than others. Some foods don't agree with you, right? But like, I'm not going to recommend that a person doesn't like avoids a certain food because of said reason for no reason, right? I think all foods kind of have their place in the diet. So like, for example, like I'm not going to tell someone to not consume dairy because a lot of people have lactose intolerance or a lot of people, it causes digestive issues in a lot of people. I'm not going to do that to someone because dairy has a lot of nutrients in it, right? So why would we avoid it if we don't need to? Um, So there are no camps of like good and bad foods. That's kind of like that myth that I wish would go away as well. So is there anything else that you would say to someone who is trying to work on their body composition? They're hearing this and they're like, whoa, okay, I did not know most of these things. I didn't know that I'm probably under eating protein and overall calories. I didn't know that my boot camp isn't actually serving me in the way that I thought it was. I didn't know that I may be shooting myself in the foot trying to do long cardio or just doing all of these high intensity workouts. Is there anything else that you would say to them as they're starting their fitness journey? They're wanting to lose a little bit of body fat, put on a little bit of muscle, feel more confident in themselves. Is there any kind of words of wisdom you would give them if they weren't able to work with a a coach, for example, but they are wanting to have just a little bit more perspective? Totally. Totally. I, my first thing would be keep it simple and don't overcomplicate it. So like the things that we're talking about here, like achieving balance through the diet, eating three meals a day with a source of protein, strength training two to three times a week. If you can keep that consistent for like months on end, obviously like training programming needs to be scaled appropriately and things like that. But if you're able to stick to a routine like that and kind of cancel out all the noise that you see on the internet, you're gonna be a lot more successful that if you jump from this to that and this to that, and you avoid this food, and you try this diet, and you're all over the place, if you can keep your habits as consistent as possible, that's where you're going to see the most success. Like the, the kind of destination that you want to get to is not hidden in um, any kind of crazy diet or any kind of like specific training program. It's all about consistency and how well you can stick to that. My second thing would be don't do something that you can't stick to for the rest of your life. Like especially when people come to me, like, I'm like, I am going to teach you what you need to make this successful forever and ever. If you can't see yourself doing this forever and ever, then it's not the right thing for you. If that makes sense, because I want when my clients are done with me and they're done working with me, that they've achieved balance and they can now do this on their own and they can help their friends and family do it as well. So if someone is is listening to you and they're thinking, okay, I want to get in contact with Cortland. I maybe want to talk to her about what she offers or how to work with her. Can you tell us about where people can find you, where you're most active, how they can start a conversation with you? Totally. So I would say the main way to get in contact with me would be through my Instagram. 
So my Instagram handle is coach Cortland underscore. Um, I have a landing page on there um, attached to my profile, but also you can send me a DM. That would be the best way to get in touch with me Um, for any inquiries or uh, even any questions. I love to engage with people and just like have people pick my brain. I'm always happy to answer any questions that anyone has. Um, So yeah, I feel like that would be the best way to get in contact with me. Fantastic. Thank you for coming on the show, Cortland. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Root and Remedy podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, if you like our information and find this helpful, then it would mean the world to us if you would leave a five-star rating and review and follow or subscribe to us anywhere you listen to your podcast. It really helps to get the show out to more people. It shows us the most support and it also allows us to get even better guests so we can bring you the best content possible. And of course, if you want to dive more into our membership, you can use the code podcast for 20% off your first month. Okay. We'll see you next Sunday. Thanks for listening.